The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we talk with Neil Schwartz, founder of TGP Insights, Neil shares his perspective on the future of the outdoor and active markets post-COVID and the importance of data-driven decisions. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and I'm excited today. Uh, joining me virtually is Neil Schwartz um, to share with us a little bit, uh, just kind of the state state of the world right now. Um, I'm sure you're sorting through a lot of that yourself, but uh You've, you've got a lot of great insights and knowledge and experience and, and maybe can help um, help us kind of learn a little bit about where we're going, kind of the current state of things and, and where we're headed. So I appreciate you taking time to, to talk today. Well, first of all, Chase, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, it's been my pleasure to participate in some of the other, uh, you know, class-oriented uh, type situations at Utah State. So I'm really excited that you asked me again Um you know, we're living in some weird times. It seems like, uh, you know, the amount of data that comes my way, you know, it's like a fire hose. But it's not just like a fire hose from one direction. It's like getting a fire hose from like all directions simultaneously. So, you know, we're, it, it's been really weird. Um, you know, but as you know, you know, I've been working in research, uh, consumer research, but really focusing on the active lifestyle markets, outdoor, um, you know, team sports, individual sports, really all of those things that, you know, go into, uh, you know, kind of the active lifestyle world. Um, I've been in research 24 years, 17 of it specific to the active lifestyle world. Uh, I've worked with all different types of research, consumer research, point of sales research. So you name it, quantitative, qualitative. So I've really, you know, worked with a number of different research, a number of different disciplines and, and used it in a number of different ways. I recently set up my own company, Chase, called TGP Insights. And the focus of TGP Insights really was all about helping brands and retailers really kind of wade their way through this kind of data maze right now. There's just so many data sets out there, so much data available. Well, what's really important? What's, re what's really relevant? Because again, you can get caught up um, you know, using data that may or may not be that helpful. In fact, I was just talking with somebody and, you know, one of the things we talked about just now on the call before was, you know, how that you can, how can you tie emotions into people's sentiment? Or so what are those emotions behind their decisions? And we can get into that, you know, a little bit more. But look, Chase, there's no question. We are in some weird times right now. Um, you know, I'm a baby boomer, a little older than you. Of course, you know, many of your students could be uh, probably my kids, or in some cases, uh, maybe not my grandchildren. But so, you know, 
first and foremost, um, I hope your family and everybody that you're associated with are safe. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking, are you guys going to be back in school? Probably, uh, you know, classes in September? You know, the, that's the, what the plan is. At least the university has said that they're moving forward. Um, what form that takes, I, I don't know if we're entirely sure. They have said that it, it will be in person with a lot of remote learning. Um, and there's some definitely limits on class sizes. Um, and so faculty are working, working pretty hard to make a lot of online options for some of those, those larger lecture style classes that just aren't going to happen now um, in person. So, I mean, at, you know, as far as we know, that's, the, that's what we're working towards. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, everything changes within a day, right? Um, every day is 10 years. So, um, so we'll, we'll see uh, when we get a little closer to the fall. But, but we hope so, especially with our program being so hands-on. Yes. Uh, you know, to be able to teach designers how to sketch, how to, you know, manufacturing processes, how to design in 3D, how to prototype with your hands. I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's, well, that's really important for our program. So uh, definitely going to be interesting um, on the higher education side of things as well. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the thing that I think is going to be most difficult, Chase, is that everything we thought we knew about the past is almost irrelevant. I don't want to say 100% irrelevant, but for the most part, a lot of the data, a lot of the things we thought we knew, we don't know anymore. This has changed the consumer landscape, you know, possibly forever, but clearly has changed it in the short term, uh, six months, nine months, um, you know, until there is a vaccine. But I'm not even sure once there's a vaccine, if things are not going to be changed, you know, really forever. Right. And I think that, you know, it's going to pose a real difficult time for students, you know, in design or, you know, those people that are looking at the next generation of products. So I, I do think there's going to be a number of, um, you know, challenges. There's no question about it. Well, from, from a product design perspective, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I'm going to jump the gun a little bit. Um, you know, I, I planned on this question later on, but how do you feel like teams, designers are going to design product differently because of all of this? Are companies, design teams going to become a little more conscious of what they're creating? They're not going to feel uh, this need to, to release product just to release product. Is there going to be a little more intentional product design going on? Well, you know, you got to really kind of take a step back for a second, Chase, and understand a little bit about what goes on, you know, with consumers, what's going on with retailers. Because, you know, I, I know you've said this because I've heard others say this, you know, as part of your – you don't design in a vacuum. So, you know, even though, a, a, you know, even though we may think there's a market, even though we may think there's an opportunity – for a product that really may not be how the retailers feel or even how the consumer feels. So I think it's going to be really incumbent right now for students to understand some of those macro issues that they haven't really had to deal with previously. Because quite frankly, you know, when business is good and products are growing and retail's humming along, you know what? We don't think too much about macro issues. You know, so we don't look so much at, you know, things like consumer confidence. Because where is consumer confidence at right now? Well, after taking a beating, 
you know, March and April and May and June, we're starting to see it, um, you know, come up a little bit. Um, you know, just as give you an idea, a company that I work for called Prosper does consumer research on a monthly basis. And, you know, our June data is sending some signals right now that consumer confidence is actually up about 8.5% or about 300 basis points. So, you know, the consumer is starting, you know, things are starting to come back. Now, will they come back to normal? The answer, in my opinion, is no. But we are starting to bounce back once we've hit the bottom. But I do believe now that it's going to be more incumbent for students to understand the macro issues and then the micro issues. <clears throat> because I think each one of them come into play. Um, you know, there's something that I like to talk about is the consumer narrative. What are consumers saying? You know, are they saying that, you know, um, even though the, the economy's a little better, maybe I'm going to get called back into work after being laid off. You know, maybe I'm not. Who knows? There's going to be a lot of changes. But the consumer narrative, what are they saying? The problem is, Chase, that typically we've always looked backwards for the consumer narrative. We've got to now look at now because what matters now is what's really important. Not what matters, well, I shouldn't say that. What matters in the future is very important. Um, I like to tell people, look, I, can, I cannot change the past. Just no possible way to do it. I can have a minimal effect on today, what matters now. But I can really have an effect on what happens down the road in the future. So, but by understanding the consumer narrative and looking at those sources of data, that give you an insight into the consumer narrative, whether it is consumer review data. I work with a company called Channel Signal. Channel Signal collects and aggregates consumer reviews and then generates insights from that data. Well, that data tells me why people are buying or the sentiments behind why people choose a brand. Why do they choose a particular product? But it's all focused on the now leading to the future. So I think it's really important. But as I said, there are a lot of micro changes and micro issues. You know, are a number of the things that are going on right now, are they gonna be permanent? Or are they gonna be just short term? Here's an example. We anticipate online sales to grow between 26 and 30% um, by year end. We weren't thinking we were gonna hit that number till two to three years out from now. How does that change things for retailers? Look, you don't have to go any further than you know, Yahoo, Google to see, you know, if I see the words retail apocalypse one more time, I'm probably going to throw up. Because, you know, right now what's going on is that there's a change. You know, retail is adapting. And unfortunately, that means that a lot of brick and mortar traditional stores, unfortunately, will go away. So how does that affect you, you know, in your design world? Well, that also means that the retailers that are left might operate with less brands, less SKUs, less variations of a particular product. So again, if you're designing another product that might end up being, you know, maybe a slight variation on something that's already available, you may not be able to get 
you know, brand distributions, retail distribution. So it is really important to be able to understand, you know, what are some of these micro changes? Um, you know, there's going to be some changes in brands also. We're going to see a lot of, I would call them uh, private label or house brands do very well. Just look at the success of Lululemon. I mean, you need to go no further than there to understand that this is going to be a changing uh, retail environment. But again, it's being able to tap in to the consumer narrative, and it also means being able to understand a lot of these new tools that are available, that will be available. You know, how will AI or, or artificial intelligence come into play? How will something like natural language processing, again, come into play as designers are looking at, you know, what are those products that consumers say they need, they buy? Because what we're also seeing, Chase, is that there will be a focus between now and the end of the year in particular on what consumers need and not just what they want. Because we were, you know, if you look back in January and, and even over the holidays, you know, you saw consumer discretionary categories just bombing away. You know, month over month, great numbers. All of a sudden, of course, the COVID-19 situation hits. What happens? The consumer discretionary categories take a hit. And in fact, right now, they're taking a hit to the tune of about 30%. So that means consumers are going to start thinking, hmm, do I need that extra pair of jeans? Do I need one more pair of sneakers? Do I need that extra water bottle? Do I need that extra piece of camping equipment? Because those things will now come into play into consumer thinking. And they didn't before. Right. So what, what, are the, what are the, I guess what are the selling points that you think are going to especially resonate for people? You know, they, they are trying to evaluate, okay, I do need this thing. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think are going to be some of the determining factors of some of the products? You know, is it, is it quality? Is it a good story? Is it trust in the brand? You know, what, what are some of those determining factors that you see, you know, playing a role in this? Well, I do think everything you just said is going to be part of it. A good story, uh, you know, a trusted brand. But I also think that, um, you know, there are really a couple of things. Number one is convenience. And when I talk about convenience, Chase, I really talk about the buying process. How easy is it for me to acquire, you know, this piece of equipment or this item that I want or that I need or that I need to replace? Is it hard? Do, am I need to going to go to multiple sites if it's, you know, if I'm going to buy it on e-commerce? I don't have that many brick and mortar choices anymore. So again, how convenient is it for me, you know, to be able to get this particular product? Because again, convenience will become a big part of how consumers, you know, really look at, you know, their buying choices. There's no um, question about it. Do you, see, do you see designers becoming like more aware of that process, especially where more designers are working for these vertically integrated brands, right? Um, 
you know, d- do you see more of these more designers having to think about that? It seems like prior to this, like it was a little more segmented, right? You could be a designer, sit, sit in your lane, design your product. Someone else would figure out how to sell it. Do you see more integration happening and, and having to have an understanding of how is someone going to buy this thing that I'm designing? Sure. Chase, as you know, I work with a lot of data. And, you know, there's all sorts of data that's available. And, you know, as I talk to, um, you know, CEOs, people in the C-suite, as I talk to marketing people, as I talk to retailers, really as I talk to new product development people, they tell me right now what they're looking for are those people that not only, of course, can design a great product and really, you know, understand the data and how to use it, but also those designers that know how to tell a story with the design process. So tell me a story about why you are designing this product. You know, are you trying to, let's say, focus in on a sustainability situation? Are you trying to focus in on a particular situation? So take your data, but tell a story with it. Don't just, you know, throw some data at somebody. Oh, look, you know, there's only 12 of these particular products in this particular category. And, you know, Tell a story. What niche, what challenge, what purpose does that product serve? So I think it's really going to be incumbent, Chase, upon number one, your students, and then, of course, the faculty being able to teach the students how to tell a story. You know, get up there and tell me why we should be making this product. Because if you want me to hire you and you want me to keep hiring you and paying you, I need somebody that can come in and make a difference. And the way to make a difference is by using data, but telling a story with it. Because that to me, you know, is really what it's going to be about. That will separate you and elevate you from everybody else. Right. And, and, and especially with, with cuts across companies, you know, across industries, to be able to have someone who understands the business across the board, right? Not just their specific area that they're working in, but to be able to tie it all together. You need people who can understand the whole company in a way, or at least where they fit within the company. There's so many things, Chase. I mean, you know, in just even the last week, you know, the, this whole idea, you know, about, you know, this racial inequality situation or gender diversity or, you know, manufacturing um, offshore in China, or, you know, there's so many things now that, in my opinion, that a product designer will now have to take into account when they're designing a product because, you know, I think that what's going to happen is that consumers will start to align themselves with those companies that have similar or let's say the same set of values that they have. So, you know, it's one of the things that Patagonia, of course, has always been able to do. They have been able to, you know, their consumers, their customers have always been very aligned to the values that Patagonia has stressed, has written about, has talked about. But now there are so many more values that are important for consumers and especially younger consumers. Um, We just saw some data today about how Gen Z's are really going to be looking at how companies, brands have dealt with the recent issue 
the recent racial inequality issue. You know, did they, did their CEO send out some stupid tweets like the CEO of CrossFit? Or did the CEO put out an amazingly strong letter that says, look, we support, you know, um, you know, racial equality. And if we have not done a good job, we are going to do better. We're going to try harder. And here's how we're going to do it. If you get a chance, and any of your students get a chance, there was a letter that was put out by the CEO of Peloton. Now, I'm sure everybody knows about Peloton. You know, they've developed this incredible in-home uh, bike. They, I don't want to use the word spin because we're not really supposed to, but they have developed this incredible bike. And more importantly, they've developed this incredible community. And that's something else, by the way, I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. But so what Peloton, the CEO of Peloton came out so strongly. I mean, I, I was almost moved to tears when I read this. Because here's a CEO that gets it. Yesterday, I sat and watched a webinar from Mark Benioff. Mark is the CEO of Salesforce. Salesforce does like 15 billion a year in sales now. I mean, it's been an incredible story. But Mark Benioff stood, I mean, and funny, in fact, he was looking right at me when he was talking, but he said, we have not done a good job of gender diversity. We have not done a good job of meeting, you know, of racial inequality and those things, but it's going to change. It's my fault. I'm the CEO. It starts here. You know, this is what I think, number one, a lot of product designers are going to have to start tapping into. Because again, remember I talked about the story. There's more now to a product than just designing a product. You know, is the story of a particular product, does it lend itself to building community? You know, when I say community, I talk about being able to bring in people um, that are almost like, you know, evangelists, for lack of a better word, for that particular product. Let me ask you, Chase, have you ever spoken to anybody that has bought a Peloton in the last six months by any chance? Did you? You know, I, uh, no. Yeah, I've talked to talk, maybe one or two. Okay. What, 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 what do you come away with out of curiosity that you, you know, that from the conversation? Um, well, I think especially right now, people love being a part of that community. Um, and, 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 you know, Peloton is kind of ahead of the curve in, in that way, doing all the, the broadcast classes. I mean, no one could have seen what was coming, but I think it's especially now where people are at home, um, to be able to jump in and do a live stream class with real people. You, and you can't go to the gym. Um, I mean, they, they feel like a part of a community like you've, you've mentioned. You know, it's interesting because my daughter is a little older than most of the students that of course attend uh, school. My daughter's a millennial and uh, you know, millennials look, get a bad rap in a lot of ways. I will say my daughter necessarily runs, you know, against many of those millennial kinds of, you know, bows and arrows we love to throw at them. But my daughter bought a Peloton at the beginning of the crisis. She's in New York. Luckily, she's doing fine. Her company's fine. But she's in. She bought a Peloton. She absolutely loves it. But what does she love about it? You know, the bike is completely secondary. She loves the community. She loves how she's able to relate to even friends. 
There was a ride a couple of weeks ago where 23,000 people were on a ride simultaneously broadcasted from the instructor's home in Dallas, Texas. 23,000 people. Now, what do you think those 23,000 people did? What do you think they posted on Instagram? What do you think they talked about on Snapchat, TikTok, all the other you know, things that I don't use. <laughs> they talked about it. And guess how many millions of people now became exposed to it? And guess what? If you ordered a Peloton today, you wouldn't be able to get it for three to four weeks because of things like that. Building community, going beyond just designing a product. And that's really, I think, something that, you know, you're going to be, and, and, you know, young designers are going to, in fact, be challenged with. Right. I, I think it's been something that I've struggled with for a long time. As long as I've gone to outdoor retailer, um, I walk around and I see a lot of products that look the same and you could take labels off of those products and you wouldn't know the difference. It seems like um, more and more people are seeing through that and they want to be identify with something that's unique or at least feels unique um, that shares their values um, it's not enough to just make more stuff, right? People don't want more stuff. They want stuff that makes them feel something. Yes. Well, you know, look, I think that the outdoor business, Chase, is going to be challenged in particular. Look, I've been to been going to OR shows for probably like 10 years now. And, you know, and I think the outdoor business is going to have to change um, in a big way. Um, number one is that most likely 30% of the independent Outdoor chains or outdoor stores probably will go out of business. I'm, I'm sorry I have to say that. Um, it's a hard truth. Um, number two is that there's going to be a number of categories that are going to struggle for a while. Why? Because, you know, as an example, um, you know, some of the boating categories, some of the more expensive categories to participate in, and not so much for the money chase. But because many of those activities, you know, you can't socially distance in some cases, or you have to travel there by plane, or you have to engage in international travel. And based on all of the data that I have, people aren't willing right now to travel. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of staycations this summer. There's going to be a lot of backyard camping um, this summer, there's going to, so again, I think the outdoor industry, you know, once let's say we're all feeling okay about going to a trade show, you know, I really think the outdoor industry is going to have to kind of look at itself in the mirror and make some hard choices. It will not be business as usual. Well, it's definitely something the outdoor industry I feel like has struggled with for decades, right? It's it, The outdoor industry is, seems to always have been driven by the extremists using this very specific equipment, right? And the equipment business is tough. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it's it's a smaller market, right? And it, and it, we've seen this for decades. I've been diving into the history of, of the outdoor industry and you have people like Jerry Cunningham who started Jerry Mountain Sports, now, now just Jerry, right? And that was kind of one of the original outdoor businesses in the 50s, right? Uh, 50s, 60s. Um, but he was always so interested in how do we just get, he was, you know, he was a climber, mountaineer, um, but he was always interested. How do we just get everyday people outside doing whatever outdoor activity they want to do, right? It doesn't have to be this 
you know, you have to be an extremist, a mountaineer, a climber, like you can just get outside and, and that's where the kitty carrier, you know, pack came from. It's like, how do we just help get everyday people out, out in the outdoors? And, and so I think that definition of outdoor is going to change a little bit and it needs to broaden. It needs to be even more inclusive um, in so many different ways. Um, But, but it seems like sport and outdoor are usually separated, but it it should just kind of all be activity. Right. Um, You know, and it seems like you've, you've studied that, you know, sport and outdoor probably more together than apart. You know, Chase, I think you've heard me say this more than once, but I believe that all of this and everything we do starts with participation. People don't play. They don't need to buy. When I say play, you know, that includes camping. That could include biking. It could include anything. Play and basically an activity are the same kind of, you know, they're parallel words, just different, different words. So I think that number one is that, you know, really taking a look at participation and what are those activities you know, right now, because remember what I talked about, what matters now? You know, activities that matter now are things like biking, walking, running, at-home fitness. Why do they matter now? For three reasons. Number one, of course, is that, you know, 26%, Chase, of people who belong to gyms say they will not go back under any circumstance. They will not go back. So what are gyms going to do? You know, that means there's going to be less gyms. You know, people are afraid of the exchange of, you know, I hate to say it, fluids, whether it's, you know, people sneezing and, you know, not covering up properly, whether it's people not washing their hands properly. Not wiping down the machine. Yeah. What's that? Not wiping down the machine at the gym. Yes. You know, there's just so many things have now become part of our everyday kind of focus that weren't before. So, you know, biking, you know, if I was a young design student, you know, I would really look at, you know, what can I do to enhance biking? What can I do to enhance walking? What can I do to enhance running? You know, what can I do to enhance at home fitness? So what are those things that, you know, I can do to enhance those activities. And and I think it's really important to understand it because again, you know, what you're going to see is just to give you a number, you know, I've been throwing out a few numbers here, but 44% of people um, who say they were going to travel between, let's say, um, actually, I'm sorry, January um, to January to January, 44% 44% of those people are not. You just wipe 44% of the revenue of the business of the number of people that said they were going to do some sort of travel, whether it was to fish, whether it was to hunt, whether it was to go to a national park. Now, does that mean everything stops? Of course not. But I think you will see, you know, the changes. Um, you know, there was also an interesting statistic that, oh, God, I am throwing out a lot of numbers, aren't I? Well, that's but, the business. That's the business you're in, of course. That's what I do. I'm a, you know, people love to call me the data geek, but I might be a little old for that reference. But 30% chase of people that are now working from home say they'd like to keep it that way or they would like to work from home more. Well, now if you're working from home, how does that affect at-home fitness? Does walking and running become more a part of your day? Right. And biking, does that become more? So, 
you know, brands like Specialized, they know right now, they're not complaining at all, you know, about the pandemic. Um, they're probably complaining is that they need to get their, you know, they need to ensure that their supply chains are intact so they don't, you know, they don't start yeah, to suffer. That, they, they've actually just hired a few of our students to, to help out um, right. during the midst of all of this. So, yeah, no, they're, they're doing well. And they've, they, we had them on a previous episode. And, uh, yeah, they just said their, their business is, is doing really well. People want to get out and bike. You know, another interesting thing is that, you know, as I, I talked to you a little bit earlier about, you know, sources of data and, and one of the sources that I work very closely with is Channel Signal. Channel Signal collects and aggregates consumer reviews. One of the things that we have found out since the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis that I didn't know, and, and you're talking about a guy that's worked, you know, in this business a long time, but there is an awful large percent of people that are actually wearing running shoes to walk in. And when I say running shoes, I'm talking about technical running shoes from brands like Brooks, Asics, New Balance, and even going even more deep like Hoka or, you know, I'm wearing my ons today. So, you know, understanding how a person uses technically oriented running shoes to walk, you know, and even on their websites. You know, I went to a couple of websites over the last couple of days, and what do I see? You know, you see the person, you know, typical per picture, um, you know, running through the trail and all that. But yet, you know, we're seeing a huge percent. And when I say huge, it's like 30 to 40 percent of people that are using high tech running shoes to walk their dog or to get out with a group of people. They put masks on and they go walk socially distance, but they're together. You know, they're not losing touch of their social ties, but they're doing it in a smart way. You know, they're not putting their health in danger. Um, they're, they're doing it in a smart way. So, you know, it's really right now, um, you know, about really understanding the categories. I mean, I am not a gun enthusiast, but I know there are a lot of them, but firearm sales are up way up. I saw last month permits were up like uh, permit requests were up like 34%. Now, you know, there are some events that are going on right now that people probably don't necessarily feel as safe about, but, uh, but you know, they are up and, and that is a business. And, and again, while I don't partake in it, um, you know, people are, you know, there are products. Again, and even if you're not a, a firearms enthusiast, there are products that, you know, could possibly be designed that could somehow enhance the experience. No question about it. Well, I think, I mean, overall, what you're saying is um, from this conversation, I hope people can take away just the need to look at the bigger picture. I think so many people, especially designers, just in, in any program, our program, um, you know, myself included, I think of a cool idea and I think about how cool it would be for me. You know, it's like, well, you know, I can't be the only one who buys into this idea that I have, right? There have to be other people who like this thing in, in order for it to, to go. Um, and so it just seems like there's, there's more of a need to understand the environment that we're living in um, and understand, like you're saying, um, just, just what do consumers want now? What, not what, they, what do they want yesterday? Because yesterday is a whole different world. It's like, what are people saying right now? And how do you recommend that, that students, uh, designers, 
um, tap into that information. Certainly there's companies, there's individuals like you, there's channel signal, there's, there's companies that they can go to to tap in and, and understand the data. Um, you know, how do you recommend that designers access that information? Because information is power and, and, you know, to better understand what products should I be designing? Well, you know, the one thing I think they can do is to put pressure on, you know, the faculty and put pressure on, you know, their sources of information, you know, their library or, or you know, put pressure on you, Chase, you know, to get them access to, you know, data that they may be able to use. I mean, there are, you know, there is data out there. And, you know, some of it's free, some of it costs money. Um, but I do think that, you know, I think they do need to put a little bit of pressure um, to get that data and, and to understand that data. But, but Chase, I also think that it's really incumbent right now from faculty to really make sure that they are tuned in to really what's going on around them. You know, sometimes we operate in this little bubble, you know, and we get all kind of into what we're doing. But, you know, really understanding, you know, the bubble. I remember earlier I quoted about, you know, Gen Z customers. But, you know, millennials and Gen Z have the highest expectations for brands to speak out. 46% of millennials, 42% of Gen Zs have a high expectation that they want their brands to be socially conscious. Now, we could talk about a lot of brands, but for instance, one brand that may run into problems in the future will be Chick-fil-A, brand with a great product, great product, but they have come out very, you know, anti-LGBTQ. Socially conscious issues right now are very important. And so, you know, being able to tap into that world around them, I think is very important. You know, I also think, you know, it's very important for people to be able to gauge an honest discussion, honest, you know, honest exchange. You know, right now it's hard to get into an honest discussion. I mean, things have become, you know, unfortunately things have become very partisan, um, you know, based on, you know, political issues or things are messed up right now is the best word I can use to, you know, to describe it. And, but but these are all things, Chase, that, um, you know, will come into play. But, you know, as I said, you know, don't be afraid of the data. Don't be afraid. You know what? And don't be afraid to, you know, if somebody can't get it for, you know, to encourage students, hey, I don't want everybody calling Neil or sending Neil. In, but if there's something you need that you think is going to be important, tell me and I'll reach out to Neil. And, and you know what? I will help. I will help everyone. Number two is that understand the underlying reasons and behaviors why people do what they do. They use a word called sentiment. Sentiment is why people do what they do. And then there's what they call emotional sentiment, which is not only why they do what they do, but what are the emotions behind? Does that particular product make them feel good? Or does it not just make them not feel bad? People will do more to avoid pain than they will to seek pleasure. Well, that's just a known fact. So again, you know, what place does your product serve? I do also believe that brands will be, and products, more scrutiny. And what do I mean? Let's say you're a brand of, and I'll go back to um, 
I'll use um, uh, personal flotation devices, you know, PFDs. And let's say a typical PFD is designed to last between five and seven years, depending on its exposure to light, amount of usage, so forth and so on. So when the economy was booming, you know, people were replacing their products four years, three and a half years, even if it had a five to seven year shelf life. Well, now people might start to extend out that replacement cycle. So you need as a designer to understand what that new cycle is going to be. But it also might mean that you may have to start designing products that will suit that cycle. You know, they use that. I remember when I was in college, I, I learned a term planned obsolescence. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we still use it or not. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I remember that planned obsolescence where, you know, <laughs> we knew this product was going to be obsolete in three years. So we know you're going to come back and buy another one. Well, I hate to say it, but planned obsolescence may not be a good marketing strategy anymore. Well, I mean, we've seen some of that with Apple, right? I mean, that, you know, overall, it probably hasn't hurt them too much, right? But there was definitely a pushback, right? Um, oh, my battery is dying, you know, or my, my, my phone is slowing down, you know, every, you know, at this certain point whenever I get it. So, you know, that's definitely still something that we face. You know, look, I think it's just going to be very difficult. Um, I think it's going to be very, uh, you, know, you're, you're, you know, young designers, you know, are really going to be challenged. And you know what? And they should be. They should be. We live in more challenging times. They should, the designers should be more challenged to create products that suit the needs of these more challenging times. Right. And it's just kind of the natural evolution thing. It's, you know, you know, one of the questions you talked about at the end was, you know, about the collaboration between Adidas and Allbirds and what did yeah. I think about it? Well, you know, the interesting thing about it is um, I actually think it's a good idea. However, I think Adidas did it more out of need maybe than desire. Adidas has been looking for a story as the Yeezy brand, the Kanye West shoe, as the Yeezy brand has started to decline in terms of sales. And it has declined, make no mistake. The Yeezy brand is on the downside of the product life cycle curve. So Adidas is looking for another big thing. They were hoping to achieve a little lightning in a bottle with Beyonce. That hasn't happened yet. And, and maybe because of the, the products haven't been designed yet, maybe because you know, Beyonce's Ivy Park line um, does not have maybe as wide as an appeal. I'm not really sure right now. But I think it was more about Adidas needing to do something like that. Um, you know, I'm not sure if all birds necessarily needed to do it. Um, you know, I own a pair, actually I own two pairs. Um, you know, they have a great niche. I'm sure all birds wanted to expand out a little bit. Adidas had a need, maybe not the desire, but you know, they, they were able to, to do it. But you know what? Don't be surprised to see more brands teaming up. In fact, a lot of brands that you did not think make sense to also teaming up, Chase. And that's another thing. You know, I, remember I said, tell a story. Well, here's the story. Here's this product. Here's what it does. Here's why I think it serves a niche. Here's the type of consumers. Here's what it, but... I also think we've got a wonderful strategic marketing opportunity if we align this product with Lululemon somehow or align it with 
Patagonia or, you know, a brand that shares the same, let's say, values of, you know, the brand, the products that you're developing. So it's, it's very challenging right now. It, it seems like, you know, when, when I brought this question up to you, or, you know, when we were going back and forth earlier, um, you know, my thought process behind it was, well, obviously this was in the planning stages well before COVID happened. I mean, th- these are conversations that go on for a long time. Yes. Um, it seems like it's an interesting timing for them because I would think more brands, they need a rising tide to raise all, all ships, right? And, and this seems like maybe, maybe this is um, a case study that other brands will use to say, well, in, in really hard times, maybe we need to come together to support each other as an industry, right? And, and maybe we'll all come out of this you know, together if we support each other in this way. Uh, this is a really overt way of, of supporting each other, but um, maybe in the midst of this, this crisis, brands start to see this as a case study and recognize, you know, maybe we need to set aside our differences once in a while for the good of our entire industry, um, yes. that rising tide. So um, maybe there's something to that. Well, you know, you know, they call this in retail a black swan event. You know, th- this just doesn't happen that often. 9-11, by the way, was a black swan event. Um, 2008, um, stock market, you know, and bank, pro- and bank, you know, collapse, whatever you want to call that, or recession, was a black swan event up until now. But this has been a unique black swan event. Why? Because it's not just affecting one group of people, one demographic, one ethnic group. It has affected everybody all over the world. And the implications are very far-reaching. So, you know, if I was an executive, I don't know if I ever would have seen this coming and if I would have been able to plan for it and understand it. Hopefully we learn from it. Hopefully right. we learn from it. Yeah, hopefully. Well, I guess one more question for you and I'll, I'll let you go, but what, um, what are you excited about moving forward? You know, I, I, it's, it's hard to be optimistic right now. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's opportunity to, you know, I think brands are, like you mentioned, starting to look for how do we rebound? How do we get out of this now? You know, kind of moving from crisis mode into, into the next stage. Um, what, what excites you about the industry? What are some exciting categories? You mentioned, you know, opportunities that are out there, but what excites you moving, moving forward? Well, I think that number one is I do think, and I've said it before, you know, a number of times, you know, brands that I think pay attention to social consciousness and social values and things like that is going to be very important. Um, you know, the categories that allow us to feel safe, the categories that allow us to continue as much of our lives as we can, I think are really important. You know, Chase, I'll give a quick example. I see an awful lot of, I live in a, a gay community. So granted, I live in a pretty sequestered environment, you know, but a lot of college students also, you know, live in a sequestered environment. So I see a lot of people walking around with like a plastic water bottle in their hands, you know, and not, you know, not a high, not an expensive double wall stainless, not a plastic polycarbonate, you know, I see them walking around with a bottle of, well, you know, here in Florida we have Zephyr Hills. But I see them and I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be a better way for people to, to carry that water bottle. You know, I mean, problem, you know, solution. It's the same way we've always done it. It's just now the problems are a little different. The solutions are going to take more creativity. Right. 
Well, I, yeah, there's always going to be problems, right? And uh, you know, we always need designers to be able to, to see those problems within the larger context, within the larger world, and, and try to come up with solutions. It's, so It's the smarter designers, though, Chase. It's the smarter designers. It's the more observant designer. Mm-hmm. It's the designer that can get past just using themselves as an example or using their, their peer group. And, and understanding. I mean, frankly, if I was going to design a product right now, I would figure out some product that I could help people in a real simple, light way to somehow carry those plastic water bottles in a better way while they're walking. Look, there are, you know, there are these fanny packs and all that, but they don't want to wear those. They want something else. Right. right. What is that something else? I don't well, know. Well, you just gave everyone a really good, good idea, a good problem to solve. So I think that's a, a great way to end it. Um, how do we stay in touch with you? How do we keep up with what you're doing um, you know, with, with, your, with your new company? Yeah. That's the best way to, to you know, keep track of you. Look, Chase, you know I never say no to anybody. Um, that's just one of those things that I'm not good at. So, you know, if people just want to reach out to me at Neil, N-E-I-L, at TGP Insights, Dot com Again, Neil, N-E-I-L, at tgpinsights.com. I'm happy to help them. If I have data that can help them, I'm happy to share. Um, you know, I'm going to put some pressure on Chase to look at some of these sources of data. I'm not saying he needs to spend a zillion dollars, buddy, but, you know, we're going to try to help you help your students a little bit. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely something that we've, we've always needed. So, well, Neil, you've always been generous with your time and I appreciate you being generous with it today. So thanks for taking time. It's always good to talk to you. Stay healthy, stay well, and, uh, you know, keep the faith. Everything's going to be just fine. Yeah. Well, same to you. Thanks again. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on HighlanderMag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.